You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I'm extremely excited today to be joined by Dallas Ducar. Uh, she is the Chief Executive Officer of TransHealth. Dallas is on faculty at University of Virginia School of Nursing, Columbia University, and the MGH Institute for Health Professions. As a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, she contributes critically to health policy related to equity, ethics, and affirming care. She serves as the co-chair of the Primary Care Alliance, is on the LGBTQI Federal Policy Roundtable, and advocates for gender-affirming care nationally. She serves on the board of directors for GLAD, Healing Our Community Collaborative, the University of Virginia Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, Access Fund, and on the Health Advisory Council for Western Governors University. As a public servant, she also serves on the Northampton Board of Health and on the official transition team for Attorney General-elect Andrea Campbell. She has advised international research groups on best practices and has carried out community-based participatory action research programs. Dallas seeks to revolutionize healthcare, building novel systems to provide holistic, empowering, gender-affirming care. She is actively working to create affirming healthcare by fostering freedom, empowering patients, creating more ethical systems, and restoring a community-focused back to clinical care. Welcome to the show, Dallas. Thank you so much for having me today, Ali. Appreciate you uh, making the time. I know you're extremely busy. Um, So we'll get straight to it. How did you decide nursing was going to be the career path that you're going to jump into? Well, it really was a roundabout path. I started first and foremost uh, with philosophy. And I really and truly believe that philosophy is the core of all of the work that we do in this world. To study philosophy is to study life and our reason for being in a lot of ways. Mm. And so I found myself asking questions like, why am I here? What motivates me? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What does a purpose full life really look like or a committed life look like? And from those questions of philosophy, I arrived at both metaphysics and ethics. uh, And I also began to study neuroscience, specifically cognitive science. Mm. And that both, both of those subjects compelled me to then really become more interested in psychiatry. But it wasn't until I was volunteering on a local rescue squad in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I began to see so many individuals who had just slipped through the cracks in Mm. healthcare, 
uh, specifically those that were struggling with mental health issues. And for me, it became really imperative to try to think about how I could best integrate those core questions of philosophy and healthcare too. Why, why do we show up every day in our lives and why are we motivated to be our best version of ourselves, or how can we do that? Um, and those questions became just part and parcel of my own studies of psychiatry. Uh, my, they became very, very clear in the work that I did as an EMT. And that motivated me to begin uh, studying nursing, along with taking a mindfulness class actually in the school of nursing at the university of Virginia, which showed me that health was so much more than just what happens in a primary care clinic or in a hospital or at a bedside, but it's really what happens in many different spaces in our lives, whether it's the health and well-being that we get through that you know, mindfulness, uh, meditation, through uh, yoga, um, through uh, being with people in community, uh, through being able to engage in, you know, outdoor recreation, whatever it may be. Uh, and that then really led me to uh, starting to help shape an affirming care model and really saying, that the person is the expert on their own life and that that person really deserves care that honors all parts of themselves. Mm. And in my experience, nurses are really poised to do that when grounded in nursing philosophy to provide that holistic care. And so that motivated me to continue on through nursing and become a psychiatric nurse practitioner and eventually go into the field of gender affirming care. Yeah, um, uh, that's uh, that's amazing because that that just shows a lot of self-reflection uh, and, uh, and self-exploration to really get to the point where you choose a profession uh, based on um, based on a philosophical stance of um, like you could have, you know, you could have done anything, you know, with a, especially like studying philosophy, people go into all different fields, but you chose the nursing profession as an outlet or as a, a outcome of, uh, of going that path. Uh, so that's really, I think it's really cool, uh, to like choose nursing after a philosophical, uh, sort of discovery, uh, uh, of your, of yourself. I would just say, you know, that there's, uh, this famous quote from Socrates, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. And I do believe that it was that, that inner knowledge of myself and that mm. also exploration of myself that really allowed me to then say, this, this is going to be my commitment to the world. And this is my individual purpose. And that started with philosophy. So yeah. for me, yeah. you know, philosophy is everything. Now, I want to uh, explore a little bit more because your path through nursing, although uh, I don't want to say it's, it's not it's not the normal path because so many of my colleagues or so many people I talk to on the podcast 
haven't necessarily seen nursing as their start point, but they find their way to nursing through various reasons. Um, so um, I want to explore a little bit more about um, what, after you chose like nursing was going to be your pathway, after you chose you're going to be in, become a, a psych mental health practitioner, uh, you took a different path. And one of the reasons I wanted to make sure I get you on the show was you really stepped out of the uh, the normal box of what we call nursing and really saw a gap and you provided, you're, you're, you created an entity uh, that is really, I think, critical and essential uh, for a population of individuals. Uh, how did you decide you were, uh, and I'll let you explain about your uh, or your institution and, and how you decided you're going to go that 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 direction how did you decide that this the services that you guys that you are providing with your colleagues is how you're going to sort of give back to the community mm. yeah well you know i i think that nothing is ever done alone we are all in community and uh, that is so clear in the lgbtq community where we have had to really stand on the shoulders of giants before us who have gone before us to to really fight to be seen heard and affirmed right trans people have been locked out of american society its norms its power its resources and i think myself and my colleagues decided that we needed to dig our heels in and truly create a brick and mortar institution that made it clear that trans rights are human rights. And that means deeply investing in affirming care and widening pipelines into healthcare and creating a space for a meaningful work environment that buttresses against burnout and co-creates a healing space that patients want to enter into so that healthcare can really become an act of liberation. And <laughs> that's a, it's a lofty goal, right? Because, you know, we are, we're struggling with a, a burnout crisis and mass exoduses of the nursing workforce. Yeah. Um, we started in 2019. And at that time, I was really recruited out to Western Mass to be the founding CEO of this organization that we didn't even have a name for mm. and we didn't have uh you know bylaws or uh any articles of incorporation and so we myself and a couple other individuals uh we we put our heads together and we really thought about what a new model of healthcare could look like and you know, at that starting point, it really felt like the sky was the limit, largely because we were also right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic mm. and healthcare was changing rapidly, right? And people's relationship to healthcare was changing rapidly. And so we incorporated in 2020, November of 2020, we hired on a slate of 13 individual folks in January of 2021, we saw our first patient in 
May 4th, 2021, Star Wars Day for any nerds <laughs> out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we we just grew exponentially. We grew so quickly without any advertising, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're a nonprofit, right? We're right. not in this to, to make money. Um, we're in this to really expand our mission and really get people the care that they need. And I think people understood that from very early on, because from the very beginning days, we saw folks coming from Boston, Massachusetts, to Western Massachusetts, where we are. And yeah. that's an hour and a half drive coming from a big city <laughs> to a rural environment. And so it shows, I think, the profound need that yeah. existed And for myself, as a member of the trans community who has experienced discrimination Mm -hmm. at the hands of nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors, you know, many different people, it's, there's no one group that is immune from implicit bias. I really profoundly believed that we could and should do more, especially for one of the most marginalized communities in the United States, uh, which I'm a part of. And so what would it look like to create healthcare for us, by us, and to create a different culture to create a space where people actually want to show up. And so our enterprise strategy is that trans health is a place where I can be myself. Mm. And we believe that for our patients. We believe that for our staff. And I will say, I'm really proud to say this, that as of our last uh, staff satisfaction survey that came out last week, 100% of our team says that trans health is a place where they can be themselves. Wow. Who who says that about (laughs) a healthcare environment where they work? Yeah. And so I think what we're trying to really do here at Trans Health is create a space that is truly affirming of your human identity. And I don't think that this stops at care for the trans or gender diverse community. I really, truly believe this is a model for what healthcare can look like. Mm. We are struggling in this country with a loneliness epidemic. Yeah. We are struggling with lack of community lack of what are called third spaces, places where people can be able to be themselves. And this is our chance, I believe, to really revolutionize healthcare and show what good quality, ethical healthcare that affirms you as a person and constructs community really looks like. That's amazing. Uh, I I love the concept and the idea behind this. Uh, And I wanna know more. Um, how did you decide, uh, obviously there's a gap in healthcare for caring for the trans community. Uh, mm-hmm. we, kn- we know that uh, it's not in our books. It's not in our teachings. We don't have the clinical uh, experiences that I think we should have. We don't have. And one of the reasons, again, I wanted to make sure I have you on the show because we don't hear enough from people like yourself in the nursing profession uh, about uh, the gap in practice, right? Um, I So for that reason, uh, I appreciate you kind of opening up um, and um, 
sharing your experiences. Um, how did you decide what the model was going to look like, right? Like when you first envisioned uh, um, trans health, how did you decide what the model was going to look like and who was going to be on your team? Mm, mm. Well, I believe that healthcare is so much more than what happens in the clinic. And so to me, the model was not just healthcare as traditionally imagined, but healthcare in the ways in which I, as a human being and others in my community had experienced it. And so care, yes, it comes from primary care. It comes from mental health. Uh, it comes from things that are reimbursed by insurance companies. But care also starts with the way that we educate. It starts with our research knowledge. It starts with community. It starts with our policies too. So we developed, I, we developed a model that had four core pillars to it. It was our clinical care. It was our research. It was our advocacy and our education. And that's all, it all is supported by our community services. And so that included, for example, a clothing closet where folks can come in and they can either donate their clothes if they're going through transition or receive other clothes. Uh, and, and, and that can be a social intervention in itself. Wow. Uh, we also partnered with an organization called Vote ER where we can then sign folks up to register to vote because we believe that civic engagement is a part of our health. We created a lending library. We partnered with folks to develop uh, uh, spaces where kids could construct plays. Uh, we offered meditation and uh, you know a workout class, really expanding what health can and should look like. We have peer support groups that have over 250 folks in them right now, wow. which shows you that need for community and what we're building in community. And those are hybrid. So we can reach folks in states where gender affirming care is not allowed, right? right. And you know, really get them the support that they need, which we believe is our duty. Yeah. We have a research advisory board that has research partners across the country that helps us understand what ethical research by us and for us looks like. We have education services where we partner with other schools to bring in nurses, uh, nurse, nursing students, nurse practitioner students, medical students. Uh, we, we do lots of education as well externally to trans health. And then that, that, that advocacy model is one in which all of us are really engaged and we are actively working to help shape state laws to make sure that Massachusetts is a leader in healthcare and then federal policy laws too, to make sure that gender affirming care is protected, especially now. But yeah. all of this goes back to our clinical care. And that model includes really a, a a model where you can have a one-stop shop, right? So some of the services we offer include primary care, include therapy, include uh, you know individual or family therapy, uh, psychiatric services, um, any type of screening that you might need, health navigation services, uh, 
community support services, uh, surgical referral services, anything that you possibly would need, we really try to provide that. And we're working towards never having a waiting list, which mm. is an ambitious goal, <laughs> but it is a part of the model. And we hope yeah. by, you know, by the end of this year that we can be in that space. But that then requires pretty robust uh, hiring and pretty robust uh, expansion of access. And luckily through telehealth now, we can provide that as well as our, our brick and mortar support where we need it. Yeah. And so, you know, mixing both the telehealth technology and the brick and mortar space then allows us to, uh, I think, be agile in a very changing healthcare economy, but at the same time also be able to still have that warm, safe space where people can show up when they need it and be in community with other people. And we're bursting at the seams. So we're just trying to <laughs> trying to get more space at this point, right? And it's yeah. not that's not a bad problem to have. It just shows the need. But all of that is to say that that philosophy, that wide-ranging philosophy on expanding what healthcare can look like and deeply investing in healthcare infrastructure is because the trans community, I think, for a long time has had to care for itself and has to do so out of necessity and has also found such innovative and beautiful ways to be able to care and to change what care can look like. And I think yeah. we're really trying to honor uh, honor that and, and honor our humanity and say, this is what healthcare really can look like. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Just because, um, I mean, you're providing so many different services. And as you mentioned, it's like one-stop shopping. What is missing? Because I think nursing hasn't caught up with you yet. What does nursing need to do? Um, and I'm not saying that's just healthcare overall, because let's start with nursing first, right? Let's fix it internally before we start pushing it out to the world. What does nursing need to do or where are the gaps uh, like in education, in the service area, in the hospitals? What is our gap and what do we need to do to kind of step as a leader in care, right? There's 4 million of, 4 million of us uh, at some point. We're going to be caring for people in the trans community. Um, what What is missing uh, based on your uh, evaluations and experiences? Uh, what do we need to do to be able to provide appropriate care, to be sensitive to the needs of the trans community? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would say that one of the biggest things that nursing educators can do is really build curriculum that is not based on one lecture around LGBTQ identities or on trans identities, but really begin to integrate mm -hmm. LGBTQ healthcare uh, as a broad umbrella into curriculum. And so you're not just seeing the, you know, case study of a gay man 
who needs prep, right? Right. But instead, maybe that gay man is coming in for something that is completely and totally unrelated to his sexual orientation right. or the transgender woman's coming in for something completely unrelated to her identity and just you know really beginning to teach people that trans folks and lgbtq folks in general are human beings that require the full spectrum of care as well is a really great starting point because yeah. So many individuals will fall prey to a concept called trans broken arm syndrome, which is where the provider or the clinician, uh, or in this case, in nursing um, can, and this has literally happened, where a, a patient can walk in with a broken arm and the nurse will ignore treating the broken arm because the nurse is so fascinated by the trans identity, right? right? Um, or there was another case in Massachusetts where a pregnant man came in to a hospital and took a pregnancy test prior and the staff did not believe that he could be pregnant. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the uh, there was the sentence in fetal demise and wow. um, postpartum depression as well. And so there's so many basic things we can do to just expand our thinking and how we generally assume people are. And it's really not any type of rocket science. It's not something that requires any specialty deep specialty knowledge, right? It, it starts with affirming the individual and treating that individual with compassion. But the only way you can get there is by building empathy and by acknowledging your biases that you may have. And that starts with education and starts yeah. with integration of curriculum. It then, you know, starts also with an individual using certain universal precautions, right? what you know introducing someone's name introducing your name introducing your pronouns and doing that prior to asking the patient mm. because it levels the playing field and doing that every time not just doing that with the patient that you might think might be transgender but doing that with everyone i did that in clinical practice every time when not working in trans settings or gender affirming care settings, no one ever got mad at me because I asked about a pronoun. No yeah. one did, you know, it's, I think a lot of this comes from our own internalized fears. And so part of that work too, I would encourage people to reflect on their own gender identity and reflect on their own experience of gender. Because yeah. the fact is, is that gender is, it, it encompasses so much of who we are. When we're in the NICU, if we're in the NICU, you might hear nurses say, oh, she's so delicate, or oh, he's such a fighter, right? We know in nursing that wages are different for men and women, and that men do get paid more. We know that there are certain states where women or where people who seek abortions 
don't have access to the same health care. And so we might like to think that this is kind of the cherry on top of, okay, this is the <clears throat> specialized, you know, care that we have to learn, but it's not a part of the basics, but this really controls so many facets of our lives from what opportunities we're afforded to how much we're paid to how we're referenced at the beginning of our lives. And being able to start with a deep understanding of how gender shapes that is really important because then we can start to truly practice, I think, better patient-centered care. And that starts with affirmation. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. And you you touched on something and I, and I made a note for myself, um, just talking about like our own comfort, not being in the community, right? I think that plays a huge part. And I think it's just because we don't, we're not like, for example, I'll just use myself as an example. I have not been around the trans community or to feel comfortable. I'm always afraid, like I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth and I'm going to offend someone. So I think a lot of people may feel that way just because uh, we haven't, as you mentioned, we haven't integrated the the community into our curriculum or care that we have, uh, that we're, we've been, we've been uh, exposed to like all of our careers. Uh, so I think that, I think, again, it goes back to people need to step out of their comfort zone. Um, and say how, and as you mentioned, do a self-reflection of where do I stand? How do I feel about whatever it is? And how do I step up and, and, and provide the same care I do everything with everybody else? So, um, so I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, And I think, I think that one of the, there's two things that are really important in that as well. I would encourage individuals to read up on the history of the trans community, because I think people may feel that this is relatively new, but (laughs) as early as, you know, the 1930s in Western culture, at least, the German government, before the Nazis took power, the German government affirmed people's gender identity legally Mm. if they transitioned. One of the most renowned institutes for sexual and gender studies was led by Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld in Germany right before the Nazis took power. And the Nazis burned all of that and killed those people, right? We also have histories of kids transitioning in public school systems in the 1920s. We have accounts from uh, from folks in the 1800s who were also, the word may not have been transgender that they used, right. but that were um, felt that they were a different gender in portraying themselves as such. And we have many cultures, especially indigenous cultures around the world that have more than two genders, including in the United States. Uh, two-spirit individuals too. Right. So there, it's important, I think, for folks to understand that context because that can help to understand that this is a part of the typical human diversity that exists. Right. Uh, it's not something that's new. It's something that we as humanity have, in some cultures, celebrated. 
And it's also, I think, important for nurses to really reflect on a core, two core parts of nursing. One, I would say three, actually. One is to be holistic. And if you're truly being holistic, then you are caring for all parts of a person. Right. And that includes talking and being comfortable to talk about sexual and gender diversity. Another component to that is education. And when you see other clinicians, whoever they are, not willing to respect a patient's name or pronouns or their identity, to, to educate and to talk about how that is really harming the patient and harming yeah. their care. Um, and, and educating also, you know, uh, clinical environments on best practice policies. And then there's advocacy too. And nurses are supposed to be advocates for their patients. And we are seeing the greatest wave of anti-LGBTQ legislation that we've ever seen in the history of the United States. It's 2023. And we're seeing more profound anti-LGBTQ legislation than we saw in 1950. We're seeing specifically laws that ban healthcare access when there are people on both sides of the, both sides and both parties that have said that decision is between a family and their healthcare team. It's not for the government to decide. But despite that, we're seeing anti-scientific bans on healthcare that have really, really strong potential to harm our entire community. And as a result, we're seeing refugees flee to places like Trans Health for access to care. That is all to say that nurses being the largest healthcare workforce in this country can really show up right now by really understanding that context, by reflecting, by providing holistic care, by educating and by, by advocating as much as they can. Yeah, um, I was actually going to ask about what you thought about all the legislation that's happening in the US. What do you think is driving that uh, legislation that all of a sudden we're seeing uh, so much of it happen in so many different states? What do you think is driving that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think I think that just to be clear, this is one of the most extreme political attacks on trans people in recent memory. And you know, not only is it banning medically necessary life-saving care for trans youth, but it prevents parents from getting their child the medical care mm. that they need. And this is care that the American Academy of Nursing, pediatrics, AMA, other leading authorities have said is essential for youth. Right. And trans kids, like all kids, have the best chance to thrive when they're supported. So, you know, I think we, we know that there are strong benefits to kids and that these proposals are about criminalizing 
providers and nurses and the healthcare that they receive. Um, in some cases, arresting and imprisoning healthcare providers too for providing necessary healthcare and punishing providers who follow standards of care that are endorsed by every major medical association. Right. So I think it's just important to remember that context that we are at a inflection point where politicians are talking about criminalizing healthcare workers for providing evidence-based healthcare. And what is driving that, I believe is complete and total disinformation about what gender affirming care is. And this is purposeful information. Recently, there were a trove of emails that were leaked from conservative organizations uh, that are religious in nature that talked about the religious motivation to push these bills through state legislatures. And we have word for word those emails that exist that talk about the, the religious motivation. Right. So I think there are people out there that are legitimate bad actors that are working to sow disinformation and they're using words that are just not true, uh, like sterilization or dismemberment or talking about kids getting surgeries, which is not happening at all. Right. And what's astonishing to me is the American Academy of Pediatrics just endorsed for treatment of obesity, bariatric surgery for kids, for pediatrics. Who, are yeah. for kids yeah. who are 13. And that right. is... That is a surgery that's being endorsed for kids. And you're not seeing, you're not seeing people from the right that are up in arms about that. Right. But then when it comes to surgery that's not happening, <laughs> you are seeing people that are sowing disinformation. And this has really direct roots in how we talk about health and specifically the COVID-19 pandemic, I think there is a through line between how much distrust was sown around healthcare institutions during COVID-19 by people who sought to disinform and to provide the wrong information. And we're seeing that through line now in gender affirming care. Because the truth is, is that most for most kids, this is just a conversation. And for most people, this is for all people, this is just access to to care that would otherwise be provided if you were cisgender in the first place. Hormone replacement therapy is used for cisgender individuals. Uh, puberty blockers are used for precocious puberty for cisgender kids. These are medications that have been used. And so this is really, in my mind, a targeted attack against a minority group in the United States and attempting to, at the end of the day, garner votes. It's, this, is, this is an attempt. I mean, you, you see anti-trans talking points being deployed in specifically swing states. You saw it in Virginia and you saw the governor, Glenn Youngkin, end up 
winning the election by speaking about trans kids and using that as a way to sway people and 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 really providing disinformation there right so this is an attempt to gain power yeah that's what this is where do you think um uh nursing needs to step up and um be the voice to correct the information or where are we or where are we not present uh, that we need to be present you know i i think one place that we really need to be present is we need as nurses to be speaking at more legislatures or more spaces of government more places that are actively considering right these bills and be speaking out because nurses are the most trusted profession in this country we need to leverage that trust and leverage our expertise and speak out in a public forum so you know that's that's number 1 but we also can start before that yeah. right if we're especially nurses in pediatrics begin talking about gender identity and begin to dispel any stigma or myths early on and integrate that into your care you don't need to be caring for trans kids to be able to talk about gender identity we know that the biggest indicator of saving a trans kid's life is social support and so providing that support early and saying whoever whoever you are as a kid regardless of who you are i love you right and yeah. or being able to manifest that in a in a clinical environment and say that you care can be life saving and being able to assess for that support can be life saving this is something that every nurse can do we also need nurses that are speaking up against uh you know really uh these threats of of violence we've seen bomb threats against mm-hmm. hospitals for example at boston children's and other pediatric hospitals too so speaking up about the need to protect healthcare providers and clinicians and really having a unified call for state and federal funding to protect providers yeah. to also you know continue to uh, advocate for the need for telehealth so that we can reach communities on the margins too. Yeah. And then integrating those conversations about identity and gender into our care settings. That's all so important in the short term. And then in the long term, you know, I I I really believe nurses can work to help foster more scientific literacy so that we can combat disinformation and that includes educating not just on gender affirming care but just also on the importance of of evidence based care right and why it is important to trust experts who provide care who you are entrusting your life with and your family's life yeah very true i appreciate that uh, i want to be cognizant of your time um uh, i wish we had more time maybe we can have you have you back again uh, at some point um Anything else you want to share uh, as a, a final uh, pearl of this wisdom? You know, I, I I just want to really reinforce 
to all those listening to this podcast that I had no idea when I was an undergrad that I would be doing this at age 30. <laughs> and that is a profound gift. It's only made possible through my mentors before me. But I also truly believe that happiness is overrated. <laughs> it's a fleeting emotion. But finding something that challenges you, that is where the passion lies. And so for everyone that's listening, remember, remember to really deeply consider what's getting you out of bed in the morning and to find those places in life where you can love what is getting you out of bed in the morning and to find those places in life that deeply challenge you so that you are truly motivated to do what you believe in. For me, I believe that what I've talked about here today and that the victories that we have already constructed in less than two years will extend far beyond our community and that we will offer a model for all of healthcare and one that is a profound expression of person-centered care based on the human story and can show America what healthcare can be. And that is my challenge. And I would encourage anyone listening, especially students out there, to find your challenge, find your vision and work towards that every day. Well, uh, I, 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 for one, I'm grateful that you are part of the profession. Uh, I, I love the work that you're, you're doing. And I think it is so needed. And I hope uh, you're able to, or we're able to expand the work, right, uh, across the nation. Um, it is, again, um, an, an example of what nursing can do. Mm -hmm. We just have to uh, have the vision and step out of our comfort zones to do the work that we're passionate about. So thank, thank you so much again. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we have been listening to Dallas Dukar. Uh, she is the Chief Executive Officer of Trans Health. And I look forward to bringing you more incredible guests in the future. And with that, uh, have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to The RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.